Good morning, good morning. It's great to see all of you here today at Crosstown. What an amazing day in Charleston, South Carolina. This is where it gets good. I hope all of your fantasy football teams are recovering from last week's uh, massacre that happened for us. I know you're really big into fantasy football. Yeah, and uh, also if you're new to Charleston, fishing is just getting good. This is when the redfish begin to, you know, do their thing. So let me encourage you. I don't know how your week has been going. I don't know how your summer was, but Charleston actually gets better this time of year. So, you know, we just started our series about being framed, and, and we talked about, if you didn't get a chance to be here, let me encourage you to just listen online. We talked about that there's a whole philosophy around frames, that the moment that you frame something, see, look at, you're looking at me right now, right? And you, you're getting a level of feeling about me just looking at me. Now watch what's going to happen. All of a sudden, I'm just going to do this. Okay? Why do you feel different about me right now? Isn't that interesting? You really kind of like, you think he really is an idiot. He is an idiot. I am, they have framed the idiot. So, but isn't it interesting... You know, you see, by framing something, all of a sudden, it gets changed. And, and I kind of came up with, um, uh, I, I came up with this, this thought that the moment you put four edges around an arbitrary observation, you make that observation anything but arbitrary. Whether you're framing some rocks, whether you're framing a doorknob, whether you're framing a fence, whether it's a particular, you're framing a group of kids, the moment that you put a frame around it, it is not just any rocks, it's not just any doorknob, it's not just any kids. That all of a sudden you're communicating that by framing it, it is special to you. So, regardless of what the frames are, frames are used by artists and directors and photographers to direct our focus towards something. There are some things we put in the frame, some things we leave out of the frame. That tells you a little bit about what's going on in the mind of the artist. Then there are frames begin to communicate context, um, what's part of the story, or begins to communicate depth of understanding. And then the last one is, is that framing communicates ownership. All of a sudden, when you put a picture around, you know, somebody, and we talked about it, that if you frame a picture of my wife off of Facebook and you hang it in your house and I walk into your house and you have framed her picture, I am going to fight you. And it's like, well, why? I mean, her picture was on Facebook. It was cool there because it wasn't framed. But the moment you take that picture, print it off and put it on your wall and with a frame, all of a sudden we realize that something's been changed about it. It's not just an arbitrary person any longer. So when I think about the revelation of God in scripture, I, I look at scripture very artistically. I'm not a Bible belter by birth, so I don't look at it as law, even though it has law in it. I don't look at it as history alone, even though it does have history in it. I tend to see it more artistically, more organically, you know, because I'm an organic being, and if this is a story of, of, of God relating to organic people, then there's got to be some sort of element that's artistic and that's flowing in it. So I look for things in Scripture that are a little bit different than maybe other people will look at. 
I look at what kind of framing God is using. I look at what God brings into the frame. What does he leave outside of the frame? And what is God telling us about? What is important in this story that God is framed? What is he telling us about himself in the stories? I mean, there are so many at the end of, matter of fact, the end of John's gospel, he ends up his gospel says, if I had written all the stories that Jesus had accomplished, that there wouldn't be enough books to fill all the stories. So what I'm being told is, is that the ones that we read in the four gospels have been framed specifically for us. There are other pictures. There are other things that Jesus did. Jesus maybe, you know, can bounce a soccer ball on his foot, you know, and maybe played a lot of soccer in between, you know, missionary journeys. But we see certain stories framed. And the fact that certain stories are framed, that means, okay, he's saying to me, we own this one. This is a story you need to own. Your soul needs to own. That's really important. This is, this is something that's very important to me. So I look at the story, and I begin to look at how God frames us as individuals, that he frames us with his grace. And yeah, I see sin in the Bible. Yeah, I see destruction in the Bible. I see ground opening up and swallowing people. I see fire coming from sky, snakes coming out of the woods and, and biting people. And I see all kinds of retributive acts of God that are taking place. But then in the middle of all of it, I see frames begin to appear, frames of grace, frames of truth, frames of faithfulness, frames of goodness. And it makes me want to be inside these frames because God's like me. He doesn't hang pictures of somebody else's kids in his house. That's weird when you hang somebody else's pictures. But rather, the moment you start hanging those pictures, you're saying there's a, there's a relational context to that. So um, how do I get inside this frame? If God's already made frames, we're told that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, meaning that God was making the frame of mercy and grace and truth long before we even showed up. How do I get in it? Well, the scripture tells us. It's just like how you decide when you go through this, your, your books and you want to put pictures in your house. John 1.12 says, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, and I could throw in there, born of good works, but rather born of God because we believe in the name of Christ. We are brought into the frame that's already been built for us by God, this frame of affirmation through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. And through our alignment with that, our surrender to that life, so that when I identify with Christ, when I decide that he's my Lord and my Savior, all of a sudden my picture is brought into the frame of grace and truth and faithfulness and goodness. It's absolutely beautiful. God only frames. There, there is not a Republican you know, wall where he has all this, you know, he's got Donald Trump over there and then he's got a you know, Democrat wall and there's Joe Biden over there and he doesn't, you know, have just a wall with just men on it and, or just white people on it. It's, it's not like that. He only hangs pictures in heaven of his children. And we all have the opportunity through a relationship with, with Christ to be the children of God. But what we're going to get into today is really important because... I think some of us have a hard time with all this. 
We have a hard time with the framing of God, not because you don't believe in the existence of God, and if you do believe, have a problem with the science of God, please come talk to me. I have, just, I have studied for 30 years about cosmological arguments to resolve the tension between evolution and God and Big Bang Theory and astrophysics and multiverse and all that stuff. I'm your guy if, you, if that's a real legitimate concern for you. But I don't think that's the problem that most of us have. I think we have a problem with the framing of God because we have a hard time believing it's that good. It's like, is it really that good? Or how can God bring me into the frame when I continue to screw up so bad? Now, and for me, it's not that I screw up so bad because I do screw up so bad. I am just perplexed that I'm in the frame sometimes because I screw up so often. You know, I, I not only have amplitude, I, I, you know, I modulate a lot, you know? I mean, it's like my wave sign of moral, you know, uh, goodness is really up, down, up, down, up, down, and it repeats really fast. So how can God bring me into the frame? How can I really be what you're telling me, Paul, when I am so bad so often, or I mess up, or I, I seem to be so weak, and even enjoy being weak at different times? Some of us constantly cycle through self-loathing, um, depression, maybe a sense of unworthiness, self-deprecation. And then for a season, we may get a glimpse of Jesus in our lives. And, and let's say we don't drink for a, a, a month and we pick up a chip at, at AA. Or, or maybe we don't look at the porn that we promised our wives we would never look at it again. Or, or maybe we start getting along with the people at work. And then you're just driving down the road and, and you just lose your mind on somebody. I mean, it just, it just goes crazy. It happened to me yesterday. All right? I, I, my kids wanted me to meet them at... at uh, the place where they make that food. It's a restaurant. It's called Moe's. Yes, I, I went to Moe's. But I didn't know that in that, that parking lot on a Saturday at about 12 o'clock is the worst thing in the world. I get anxious about being in parking lots when there's no parking spaces. And, and so they're like, hey, daddy, meet, meet us for dinner, for lunch. It's like, okay, I'll do it. Well, there were so many parking spaces, I couldn't get out of the parking space. So I decided to slap that thing in four by four. And I started going over medians in the middle of the road. And it was like, you know, you're, and I'm yelling, you're all sheep. You're all sheep. You know, and I'm just like, there's, I am not following you. I went through stop signs. I mean, it was just like, uh, and it's like, what happened to you? I lost my mind. I mean, I just flat out lost your mind. And you say, well then, Pastor Paul, for a brief moment when you were losing your mind, you were not in the frame of God any longer. You must have fallen out of the frame of God. That's not what a Christian will do. Or you've got to, and I think a lot of us, we're going to look today and we're going to challenge this cycle of self-loathing, self-doubt, self-unworthiness that pertains to our spiritual understanding. Now, let me just say, some of these feelings that we get, we get because of physiological reasons. Some of us are ADD. Some of us do deal with physiological uh, depression. And um, we may not be speaking directly to those issues, but what we're going to be talking about is some of the psychological and, and spiritual um, vacillations that we seem to make about whether or not we, we really can be in the frame of God. Can it really be that good? 
So let me break it down by stepping back into cinematography and photography for a second. If you'll let me do this um, and talk about framing. So when you're about to take a shot, whether with your video camera or not, there's, uh, th there's a couple ways that you can choose to frame the shot. And this is, this is what cinematographers use even with large uh, projects that they're working on. First of all, there's the single shot framing. You're familiar with this. I mean, you got one person in focus in the shot, and you take that picture of that individual, and, and, and that's called the single shot framing. Then there is the two-shot framing. And in order to be a two-shot framing, that means two people have to be in the picture and both of them have to be in focus. When one of them's not in focus, it's actually called a dirty second shot. I mean, that's actually the phraseology that they use when they're, they're talking about framing up a shot. Then there's a crowd shot framing. You've seen a lot of movies where there all of a sudden a, a scene from, of a crowd is being taken and, and, and the artist is framing up the crowd. They want you to get the picture of the crowd. Then there is a different way to frame it, and this is a little bit more abstract, is the point of view framing or POV framing. This, the best way to put this is that your, the eye of the character is the lens. You see this a lot happen in the TV show, The Office, where they, all of a sudden the cameraman is actually like a character in the show. There will be a time when you're, like you'll be watching a movie Saving Private Ryan, where you'll actually see the fighting scene, him crawling, and you'll, it'll be like, you are him. So there are some times when you frame it, the scene, with a POV, or from that uh, point of view. The next one is called over-the-shoulder framing, or OTFs. Very easy to visualize. It's just that whatever scene is being taken, there's always the shoulder or the side of the head of a person to bring context into what's going on in the scene. And then the last one that I'll talk about, there are a thousand ways to do this, but these are the major ones, is called insert framing. That's when all of a sudden you're, you're in a scene and they focus on the buttons of the aircraft or they, in this particular case, they're looking at the mask of Darth Vader. You know, all of a sudden you insert what the character is looking at. It's a particular object. Now, the reason this became interesting to me was because I wanted to see how does God frame me? I mean, when he's looking at me, how does he look at me? We visually think in our heads, what is, what, how does God see me? And this is really important to me because how I think God sees me will determine how strongly I walk in that understanding. You know, some of us vacillate in and out of our relationship with God because we don't have a really good picture of how it's framed. How can God love me? How can I mess up so often and still be a Christian? How can I, you know, have, you know, like Paul said, the, the things I should do, I don't do. The things I, I shouldn't do, I do. Romans, one, uh, Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? See, in the middle of it, he's, he's looking at himself and he's, he's, taking a, 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 he's looking at a single shot of who he is and he's like, there's no way God can love me. And then he says, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Ah, a framing change. This, okay, and I, we're actually gonna use, take a look at that. It's actually, wait a minute. How is God looking at this photo? So it made me think about it a lot. And so I, I began to think, 
Are we single-framed, single two-shot, crowd-shot, POV, point of view, over the shoulder, or are we an insert shot? Which one of these, or a combination of these, is, is how God looks at me? Um, and after thinking about a moment and taking a look at it, uh, I really believe that there's a way that God frames the picture that is, is uh, a combination of this. And I believe I can back this up biblically. Um, and again, why do this? It's because it's very important about how you are visualizing God visualizing you. Okay? That's where most people go sideways on Christianity. It's because they just can't imagine that God loves them so much and that he keeps you framed and he never takes you down from the wall. So, so let's start. Let's just think about it together. I'm going to throw the insert shot out. I don't, and the reason why the insert shot's out is because God is not looking at objects. All of creation is beautiful, but it's humanity that is the focus of God's love. So let's take that out. All right, so if you're loving the earth more than you're loving people, and I love the earth, I'm, I'm an environmentalist, uh, I'm a conservationist, admit it, some of you folks are like, oh my goodness, I've got to find another church. No, I still fish, and I still like all that stuff, but it's like, but here's the thing, is that I do know that the earth is just an insert shot. It's, it's what God inserts into the picture with value, but really he seems to be focused on us more. So let's take the insert shot out. So what about the single shot? I don't think the single shot is the way that God looks at me. I don't um, feel like I'm good enough in the shot and what is in the shot is always good. Okay, because I have my bad days where I'm driving over medians, where I'm driving through lights, where I'm yelling at people and calling them sheep. You know, I mean, I, I have those kinds of days. And, and, and the reason why I don't think the single shot works is because I think that's how humanism frames humanity. It's all about you. You being the best version of you. That's, all, that's kind of like how humanism does. It's all about you being in the picture. Then what about the two crowd, or the two shot or the crowd shot? And let's just throw those together. I don't believe it's that either because I don't think God saves us in groups. I don't think God loves us in groups. Like I like those kinds of people and I don't like those kinds of people. Or I, I love that color people and not that color people. Or I just like Jewish people and I don't like Gentile people. I don't, I don't think that's how he works. I think, I think a crowd shot's nice, but I think he does care about us individually. So, so I, I think that's, that's an important distinction. But now I think is when we get into possibly how God shoots it. I'm going to start with the POV, the point of view. It begins to speak to me um, because it's not about me in the shot. It's rather about the perspective of the person who frames the shot. So that's really the important thing when it comes to me and God. It's not what I think about me. It's what God thinks about me, isn't it? I mean, really, what I think about me does not determine my eternal destiny. What God thinks about me, now that's really important. Now I'll have people that will come up to me and, and we'll have conversations about theology or philosophy and they'll say, well, I think God's this. You know, I think I'm a good enough person. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, single shot. I, I, I think, yeah, I think me and God are, are, are cool in this. It's like, okay, cool. 
Um, whatever you believe about God, you have a right to believe about God. The important thing is to make sure that God thinks what you think he's thinking is what he's thinking. Okay, you know what I mean? It's one thing, as long you think God thinks this way, that's cool. That's your perspective of God. But you need to make sure that that's the way God thinks about you. That's the perspective that's, if I never get me straight, and in, in, the, in the world today, it's all about you getting you straight and you thinking about yourself the, a good way, making yourself feel good about it. And that's a component of humanity. But the most significant part of it is what does God think about me? So I think POV might be part of it. And it but it's only important because it's God's perspective because there's a lot of other perspectives right outside the door. You're sitting next to another POV, an, a, another person that has a perspective about you. So we gotta make sure with POV we get the right one because there's a lot of people that don't like me. There's a lot of people that think I'm a dirtbag for jumping the median. There are a lot of people that, you know, just don't like 62-year-old white guys anymore. So, I mean, it's, so there, there's a lot of POVs out there. You just got to make sure you get the right one when it comes to POV. And then there's this one, and this is my favorite. As you could probably see, I saved it for last, so I was setting it all up. There's the over-the-shoulder shot. This one really speaks to me with biblical strength because when you begin to look at all the scriptures that talk about how we are accepted through the love of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ, and when you combine the over-the-shoulder shot and the point-of-view shot, you begin to think about how God looks at us. The book of Ephesians talks about in him. I was raised Catholic. We always said this thing, in him, through him, and with him, in unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory in God be to our God and Father Almighty. Amen. Everybody remember that? that was, some of us just felt at home just for a second, just for a few seconds there. But, you know, it's the whole idea that it's in him, through him, with him. It's like, wow, there's a shoulder always in the picture. Is that when God's looking at me, he's always looking at me, not based upon my rightness, my goodness. He's always looking over the shoulder of the work of Christ in my life. Why does this matter? You know, Ricky came up to me, or I came up to Ricky, and he said something to me in a very brief moment that he didn't realize he was giving me the very soul of, of this message. He said to me, I've noticed that you never seem to waver about being good enough. Um, and I thought about it. I was like, no, I never waver about that. I, I, and you say, well, is it because you're a good person? No, no, I'm not a good person. Come on. Uh, is it because you're a perfect person? Absolutely not. I'm probably the, the um, you know, uh, second most um, vulgar person in this room. You say, well, who's number one? Well, I just left that open so you could look around the room, you know? Because that's what churches do. We like to look around for who's worse than us, you know? Point of view, point of view. So I'm going to leave that spot open. And I don't want to get cocky about being vulgar either. I don't want to say I was the best at it. But, you know, it's like, it's like, and he asked me, why don't you ever deal with this? It's because I never framed myself based upon my, my good behavior. I was framed by the finished work of Christ. What Jesus did on the cross says, you're in the frame. And I believe that. So every time God looks at me, he's looking over the shoulder of Christ into my life. 
Now, some of you may not like that because you've been told all your life it's about you. You don't want anybody else in your picture. Matter of fact, we made it so that you could have a camera so you could have a what? A selfie. Okay? Well, I'm sorry. There, there are no selfies in heaven. All right? All of us are framed in heaven the exact same way. There's a picture of me up there, and I'm smiling, and I'm happy, and I'm jacked, and I'm driving my 4 by 4 over the median, and, and there's the shoulder of Christ in the same picture. In every one of our pictures, there is the over the shoulder, is that we're in the picture, we're in the frame because of what Christ accomplished and because we have relationship with him. Well, let me back this up biblically. That would be pretty good at this point. Um, we all heard the story about how God uses Moses to go back into Egypt and to deliver Israel. The last plague that God uses to loosen the grip of Pharaoh is to send the death angel to kill the firstborn sons of Egypt. Now remember, this is the 10th attempt of God to get Pharaoh to let his people go. So the egregiousness of the plague is really Pharaoh's fault. So before you start saying, well, I don't believe in a God that, you know, would kill, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, wait a minute, this is the 10th attempt to get the people free. So the egregiousness, I'm going to lay that at the feet of Pharaoh. So God is telling Moses to prepare and how, to, how he's going to discern when the death angel comes over in the middle of the night. And you know the story, but the death angel passes over Egypt and over the Israelites and the, the, and, and the death angel all of a sudden swoops down and, and, and in one household somebody, one of the children dies, the oldest son dies, and then the angel goes and then another one. And, and um, how is this going to be done? Well, here's the interesting thing. It is not going to be done based on ethnicity. That's big. Okay, we need to learn that in America. It is not going to be done based upon... God is not looking at DNA and deciding which people group are in. Though he could have probably found some DNA or epigenetic difference between the Jewish people and the people of Egypt. That was not going to be it. It was not going to be some fleshly determination. God, like a director, was telling Moses how he was going to frame the shot. And we call it the Passover. This is how he's going to frame it. Let me read it to you. And you'll hear the framing all of a sudden emerge. God is telling Moses, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lentil of the house in which they eat it. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Okay, see, God is looking over the shoulder of the doorpost with the blood on it. 
The death angel doesn't go in and say, hey, did you vote Republican in here or did you vote Democrat in here? He doesn't go in and say, are there white people in here or is there black people in here? Women in here? No, no, no. Does he, does he fly in and say, hey, you Jewish? Because I'm about to kill somebody, you know? And it's like, uh, you need to, I mean, everybody would have been Jewish that night. I mean, if he's going in and checking to see who the Jews are. But no, God said, listen, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to look through the doorpost, frame, beautiful illustration, but not just the frame, the blood on the frame. If I see blood, nobody dies. If I don't see blood, firstborn dies. I am going to make my decision based upon the over-the-shoulder shot. And it's interesting. If you were a Jewish person and you didn't put blood on your doorpost, you died. God was not making distinction based upon you being Jewish. He was making the distinction based upon the blood on the framing of the shot. Wow. See, that's over the shoulder. No blood. The over the shoulder doesn't happen. The angel enters in and the Passover doesn't occur and death happens. And it didn't matter if you were Jewish or Egyptian. You know, the shot is framed through the doorpost with the blood on it. This is exactly how God shoots the framing with us. The picture of me in heaven is shot looking over the shoulder of Christ. It's absolutely beautiful. This is how it's framed. See, it doesn't matter how badly I screwed up. We're not even told about anything about the moral behavior of the Jewish people. You know, we're not told about get the good people in this house and I'll pass over. It's like, no, I'm going to frame this whole thing based upon blood. The picture of me is shot looking over the shoulder of Christ. Listen to these verses. And I have given you notes on this, and I've given you more verses than I'm going to read, but let me read you this one. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace, that's the shoulder, you have been saved through faith. And this not of ourselves, no, it's not a single shot, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an over-the-shoulder shot. 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter amen to God for his glory. It's like Jesus is in all these shots. All the goodness that happens to us, it happens because of Jesus. See, if you think you have to be good enough, if you think you have to be perfect in the frame, then you are thinking God looks at you totally wrong. That's not how he looks at you. He's constantly looking at us over the shoulder, over the blood of Christ on the cross. God is looking at me over the shoulder. He's not staring at my picture looking for perfection. Neither is he ignoring the injustices that I've done. He sees me through perfect grace, through perfect mercy, through perfect justice, and perfect forgiveness, and all of that met on the cross. I love it. 
So I align my life with the shoulder God is looking over. That's all I have to worry about. It's like I got to make sure his Christ's shoulder is still in my photo. So when I feel lost, I got to make sure, you know, it's kind of like photobombing. I mean, I'm literally photobombed in the, in the kingdom of God. I mean, it's like, it's a picture of Christ, but I'm in the background and I'm there and, and it's like looking over his shoulder and it's like I'm photobombed into this picture. Absolutely incredible. I don't, I'm not looking over my shoulder to see if I'm good enough. Folks, I have, I have a sordid sexual past. I have a, uh, a sordid drug use past. I have been arrested, brought up on court martial charges. I have been divorced and remarried. I've paid for abortions. I've done everything. Folks, if I'm going to look over my shoulder, nobody is ever going to see my face. Okay? The problem is, stop looking over your shoulder and make sure you're looking over his shoulder. Okay, that is the big difference between me and it. maybe you in this picture. It's not that I'm a better, no, I don't look over my shoulders like, Pastor Paul, you did that. You know, you can't be a pastor and have been divorced and remarried, really? Oh, really? Okay, well, you keep looking over your shoulder, pal. You know, I mean, it's like, that's your problem. I, I thought I was a new creation, old things have passed away. I thought he who began a good work and me is faithful to complete that work, you know? I thought it was no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. You know, I, what, about the, what about all those verses, those looking forward verses? So, I think too many of us constantly look over our shoulder. I, I shouldn't have said that, or I, you know, or I shouldn't have done that, or God knows so much about me, he's got the dirt on me, it's okay. He's not looking over your shoulder at you, he's looking over Christ's shoulder at you. So, this is the part I really wanted to get to. And this is really important because this is where we mess up. So what happens to me or what happens when I sin as a Christian? This is where I think we functionally don't get this. Um, do I fall out of the frame? Does my picture kind of slip out between the glass and the, and the backboard or the mat and kind of fall out every time I sin? Um, do I have to earn it back? Do I have to repent so that God puts me back in the frame? Is that what happens? Like, do I lose my relationship with God? Do I break my relationship with God? Do, am, am I lost again? Here's where there's a big theological difference between what we teach and what you may have been raised as a Catholic person. And, and believe me, we all owe a lot to the Catholic faith, expression of the Christian faith. And I am not saying Catholics are not Christian. Um, there's a lot of good stuff. There's some bad stuff from what I think. So... I'm just happen to be focusing on what they don't do really well. See, in their point of view, it's called in, infused uh, faith. Is that when you sin, and if there's two levels of sin, venial and mortal, so really bad and just jumping medians, not bad, you know. It's like, uh, so, but you go to a priest on Saturday and you do confession. You confess. Okay, he'll give you some acts of contrition. You have to pray a certain amount of Hail Marys, Our Fathers, and possibly do some community service. Okay, if it's really that bad. But, you know, so you'll do that. At that point, you then can receive the Eucharist. You can go and get communion on Sunday morning. 
But if you haven't done confession, you are not worthy to receive communion. Okay? So what happens in confession is you are reinfused with the righteousness of Christ. So it's, you're like a Christmas ornament that is packed away in the garage. And then all of a sudden when you bring it out and you plug it in and it... You know, like you have like that goofy thing they put on the side of the road, you know, that does that. So when you come out of, conf- you know, and then, but I'm telling you what, that's a, that means every time you mess up, I can't handle that kind of pressure. Okay, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. I can't even receive communion because I've been divorced and remarried. And it's like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, that, that, that can't be right. Not according to the scriptures of God. Um, so, so what do we do when we mess up? What happens? How does this picture change or does it? The answer is, is, answer is this, no, no, and no. Um, remember, God sees you through Jesus. We see God through Jesus. We are put in the frame, not because of our righteousness, because of, but because of what he's done. That's why you're in the frame, because you believed in Jesus and all of a sudden, because he is your shoulder that you lean on, you are, in, you are in the frame. So when I can sin, what happens? Um, whatever I sin, I confess to God and he removes it out of the picture. Remember, we said framing last week is a form of editing, choosing to decide what's in the picture, in the frame, and what's out of the frame. When we confess our sins, God's like, oh yeah, there's a little smudge on that picture, isn't there? Okay, and then it's like... It's taken and it's removed from the frame when I confess. We're not jumping in and out of the frame. We are not halfway in the frame because we're not really walking really well with God. Uh, we are not slowly progressing into the frame, having a good week, and then you feel a little bit more righteous than on the other days. It's none of that. But that's the way we tend to think of it. First John 1.5 says it this way. This is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you. This is the message, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It's like, okay, well that sounds like when I'm sin, I'm out of the picture. Now, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, there's a walking in darkness, which is a whole different thing. He says, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Meaning that as long as we walk in relationship in the framing of Christ in our lives, that when we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all sins. And he even goes on to say this, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So he's saying that there's a difference between walking in darkness and then sinning. And he says, if you think that you're in this frame and you're perfect and you don't sin, you're fooling yourself, you know? He's like, you're lying because we all sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not taking the photo out of the frame. It's just whatever we did wrong is taken out of the photo. 
and it's forgiven. It's done. My picture doesn't go in and out, in and out of the frame all the time. I mean, they would have had to put an angel up in heaven just standing next to my, my picture. All right, uh, give them five minutes. All right, and I can see the angel like, uh, Lord, should we put the picture in? Because you know what he's going to do, right? You know, he's, you know, he's getting in his car. He's getting in his car! You know, <laughs> take the photo out, you know? Could you imagine that? <laughs> That's so crazy. I remember when I was brought up on court monster charges. By the way, let me just say this for all you veterans that are out there and looking at me cross-eyed. After I came to Christ, I became what's called a 4-0 sailor. I was an amazing sailor for the rest of the time that I was in. I got awarded and everything like that. So uh, I, I just want to let you know I did. But I did get brought. There was this little issue of getting caught with 10 pounds of marijuana up at the National Security Agency dealing dope on the top secret base of Fort Meade, Maryland. So I don't play, okay? I deliver dope to you where you need it, okay? <laughs> So, so I was right in the middle of it and all. But here's the thing. When I got saved, I really believed I got saved. I believe from that moment, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. And that he's faithful and just to forgive. And he takes my sins and makes them as far as the east is from the west. And it's like, Wow. So in the middle of all this being brought up on court martial charges, I give my life to the Lord. And uh, literally, this is the God's honest truth. NIS, Naval Investigative Service. You guys watch it as a TV show. I've experienced it in real life. Okay? They bring me in. They sit me down. Bright light room in my face. Two guys in suits questioning me about my selling of drugs and if I've ever smoked or used marijuana. Because what they want me to do is to say, yes, I have done it, and they will immediately send me to Leavenworth for seven years. That's what I was looking at. Yeah, it was, it was hardcore. But not in an attempt to get away with murder or anything else, but I believed that I was a new creation in Christ. So they sat there and they questioned me, and I mean, when I got saved, I'm serious. I, this wasn't a Bible Belt thing. This was, I got Jesus, his word, his grace. I got framed by love and by mercy. So I kept looking at them. I said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And they're like yelling at me. Yeah, so you're not going to play this Jesus game. I said, I'm not playing any Jesus game. He saved my life. And I said, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins. I remember having this verse and saying to them, he has forgiven my sin because he's faithful and just. So I can't tell you anything anymore because he has faithfully forgiven me. And, and it's gone. So you're not going to tell us what you did. No. And I said, it's not because I'm evil. You couldn't get God to tell you what I've done because he said he forgave me. And it's like, dude, that sounded like a very clever way to get out of jail. <laughs> it is. If that's all it is, it's clever. But it wasn't what it was. It's how I stand here today. Broken, fallen, frail, screwing up every single day so much. Why can I stand here? Because I'm the perfect picture of Christianity? Absolutely not. If you look at the photo closer, you'll see this blurry outer image over the, in the left-hand part of the photo. You'll see that Jesus is in the photo. 
I stand here confidently because I am getting to see the face of Christ because God looks over the, sh the shoulder of Christ's finished work. So stop thinking Christianity is about perfection. Stop looking over your shoulder to get a good picture of yourself. Stop worrying about your selfie. Stop worrying about other people's point of view. God has framed us in grace. And the reason why we have problems is not because God takes us in and out of the frame. Listen to this last verse as we get ready for communion. And we're going to give you communion while you're imperfect. Because we believe in what's called imputed righteousness. Not infused. Not that it fills up and then it goes down. Then you've got to fill it up like the tires on your car. But we believe that the work of Christ, his goodness, his mercy, his justice, has all been taken and given to us. I, as Paul said, speaking about this Paul, said that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He's like, that's pretty, pretty bold. Yeah, well, when you're looking over the shoulder of the Son of God, you can be bold about who you are. John, 1 John 3 says this, For whenever our hearts condemn us, remember that God is greater than our hearts. And He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, it's showing that we have confidence in God. You say, do, do I confess my sins? Do I feel guilty? Yes. Do I feel condemned? Absolutely not. Because he's faithful and just to forgive everything I did wrong. I have confidence towards God. And now God wants you to have confidence. Because Jesus is in your picture. Father, as we come to receive the, the bread and the cup, it is just a material representation of a spiritual reality that Christ is in us and he's the hope of glory, that God is with us. Today, we receive communion to be in the shadow of that shoulder. We know that we all come into this picture broken, frail, sinning way too much and way too often. But God, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. And today as we receive the bread and the cup, we are reminding ourselves, this is not a single shot. This is not a crowd shot. This is a shot over the shoulder of Christ from the point of view of God. We are the sons and daughters of the living God. And if God be for us, who, just who can be against us? And today we remind ourselves of this.